This special edition of the Seinfeld Post Show Recap and Interview with Spike Ferriston is sponsored by True Car. Look, if you want to be a car guy like Spike, host of Spike's Car Radio on Podcast One, then you need to be knowing about True Car because True Car can help you whether you're buying a new car or a used car. In fact, there's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy a new or used car, you can get the upfront pricing information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars and a better Better buying experience through the True Car Certified Dealer Network. There's over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. None of them have been pre-owned by John Voigt. You'll see what other people paid for the car that you want, so you know what a fair price is, and you can feel confident with True Car. You can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing, and you can enjoy a quick and easy car buying experience. And with True Car, you'll easily find the new or used car that you want. True Car users experience an average savings of over three thousand dollars off of msrp so when you're ready to buy that new or used car visit true car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience some features not available in all states hey everybody what's going on rob sister here with wheels winnaker keeve how are you I'm excited to be here on this special day. Special edition of the Seinfeld Poster Recap, because today we're going to be talking with a great guest. Uh, he is one of the people who wrote on Seinfeld, uh, wrote a number of classic episodes of Seinfeld, and now has a new podcast on Podcast One, uh, the podcast network home of this podcast, Spike's Car Radio. We're going to talk with Spike Ferriston, uh, Keith. This is a huge get for us. Yeah, big get. Spike famously wrote the uh, Soup Nazi and the Muffin Tops and about eight other episodes. Uh, some real classics towards the end of the series. And he also remembers the show a lot better than some of the other writers. So it'll be uh, very useful to talk to him. Yes, uh, we uh, first got into his orbit that we had asked a question on Twitter. The, probably one of the only people on the production side ever who's answered one of our stupid questions which i believe was when elaine gets into it with mr lipman about how uh mr lipman wants an exclamation point on uh the muffin tops uh, on top of the morning to ya uh and uh he is pro exclamation point whereas uh there is an earlier episode with jake jarmel where elaine edits in too many exclamation points why has have elaine and mr lipman reversed exclamation point rolls uh was that intentional or was it a gaff he told us gaff yes a gaff and i believe he also um answered our question about the betrayal when we had the question about the um indian dress which is what was it called again yes uh the, the sorry <laughs> the sorry correct the sorry so was that him or that, or, uh, or uh melman Oh, did I tweet at Melman? You're right. That was to Melman. You're right. No. Those are the only two people who will return our calls. Yes. Melman and Spike. But that's good. Those are two great people to uh yes, and, we like and, both and they will share in common that they have both been on this podcast. All right, I see that we have a uh, Spike on the line. Let's go ahead and uh bring him on. Uh please welcome the great Spike Ferriston. Spike, how are you? I'm good. I'm a little overheated here in Burbank, California, but um some Gatorade should fix that. <laughs> okay. How are you guys? Very good. Uh, Keeve. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, that uh, You want to tell uh, Spike about the collection of questions we have for him? 
Yeah. So Spike, you should know this is a this is a podcast we do uh, one episode a week, and we really go in depth. We really spend an hour and a half, two I've hours heard on every podcast before. I I know it. Oh, okay. Oh no. <laughs> Ready to go. Okay. So um, straight two out <laughs> on the reverse people. <laughs> remember what the other stories are. Okay. So we have a lot of great listeners, and one of our listeners uh, is a guy named Sean Falconer, and he has this like data scraping system that catches like everything we say and his like computer came up with a list of unanswered questions that we've had over the course of the last 160 episodes and we have some of them um you know particularly season nine because that's what we're talking about and um and anything um you know from an episode you wrote is you know in particular we might ask you about so if these questions (laughs) by any chance He's not helping Trump, is he? <laughs> I don't. Th- I don't think so. I mean, he's he's in San Francisco, so if he is, I feel like they'll turn on him and they'll beat him up. So you don't have to worry about All that. Right, whatever. You better better get. To he these works questions. at a startup, but uh, <laughs> this is this is what he has to do this time. Okay, and Spike, and and you get to you could either pass or just hang up the call at any point if this if gets too nerdy. Too nerdy. Yeah, are you kidding? Who do you think writes these shows but nerds? Okay, good, good. <laughs> no way we get too nerdy. I'm right there with them. Okay, great. Uh, all right, Keeve, uh, what's what's our uh, number one most burning question? Are these in order? Well, well, let's ask a couple of general questions, and then we can get into this episode and really all of your episodes and sort of how the show ends since we're in the last 12 episodes of this series. Um, we when we, we spoke to Melman at length uh, a few seasons ago, sure and did. he... he he mentioned that um, there wasn't really a traditional writer's room in like the middle of the at least in seasons four and five of the series. And now LD is gone. We're in season nine. Uh, is there like more of a traditional writer's room? Like, how is it? How is it? You know, is it a little different? Like, how is this working now that Larry's gone? So you're talking season eight right now when well, Larry season nine. Well, I mean, the post eight and nine. But just like I mean, right now we're in the middle it's of season nine. But he ha- left after season seven. Correct. Yes. Correct. Right. So now eight and nine are this new system of government here at Seinfeld. And as I recall, we would write in groups of four or five per episode. Um, and and uh, I think, you know, what Jerry set out to do in the beginning was he, he said, when it's your episode, you are executive producing it. You're the showrunner for that episode. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I remember us breaking into groups of four and five and, you know, working on in my scripts and then somebody else's script. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't say it was a traditional room because Jerry believed when you get over four or five people, uh, over four or five writers, they start to get competitive and it starts to get a little unwieldy. So but it was like a, a nice little group of guys or, or girls working on the show each episode, if that makes sense. But not a traditional room where it's like 10 people around a table and, you know, nothing's getting done. Learning a lot of Chinese food. And then how did you account for like uh, different like uh, continuity type things where if, you know, one group of four or five people ended up like uh, establishing something for a character like uh, one of these uh, recurring characters say like uh, you guys have Uncle Leo doing this and then uh, another group has Uncle Leo doing something that's at in conflict with what the other group is establishing. Well, if you think about it this way, only one episode is being produced every week and Jerry is in the room for all of it and he is captaining that whole deal. So, you know, no matter what is happening, at the beginning of the season, we all kind of know the direction of the the, uh, 
the season uh, arc, if you will. And it can be really small, like George is going to get uh, engaged by the end of the season. And then um, the rest of it is, you know, we're all pitching stories and we, we've got a big board with who's doing what story. And we try not to do two Uncle Leo stories. You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's kind of determined early on. But even if stuff sneaks through, the week we're producing the episode – that's where we really, you know, wrap it up and put the bow on it and go, all right, let's this let's push this out for production and for it to air. So, but there are always curveballs. One of the one of the biggest curveballs I think in my time there was, you know, I was doing um, what turned out to be the muffin tops. It mm-hmm. was that week, um, but the muffin top story was not in that episode. It was, I think, it was called uh, the police scanner. I think that's what I was calling that episode. And as it came to the table on Tuesday, maybe it was Monday night, whatever night Frazier aired that night or perhaps the week before, they did the same story that I had in my script, which was that uh, Kramer was listening with a police scanner to the cellular phone calls, but also just the wireless phone calls around him in the apartment building. And this is something I will confess to you that I used to do. We used to mm-hmm. we had scanner and I turned it on once and I started hearing my neighbors and I was I was like what the hell is going on here and I realized I was picking up cordless phone calls on a 900 megahertz or something frequency and it it became its own form of entertainment uh, sometimes we'd invite friends over we'd open up Shay's lounges inside the apartment make margaritas and just listening to listen to these perverse phone calls from <laughs> so it naturally became a Kramer story um when Frazier did a version of it, I went to Jerry and I said, look, I don't want to, I don't want this in the episode. I mean, it just aired. Now we're going to record this. This is going to air soon. You know, we've got to be better than that. Let's replace it. Um, most of the room thought I was being a little too sensitive to it, but Jerry did not. And, you know, we, we killed the story and then said, let's now all together. And that was the entire group of people, all of us, all the writers going, what can we replace it with? And, you know, after about an hour, I remembered that little story and and told this story about this girl I dated who only ate the tops of muffins. And, you know, from there, you know, I had I had Jerry, at least. And that's the story we wrote. And that became the episode. And then we just wove that thread of a story through what what else we had there. Okay, Keith, should we start knocking off some of these uh, different questions? Yeah. uh, Mike Bloom writes in Spike and he says, uh, you know, but uh, before the last episode we covered, so before the dealership uh, in real time, Jerry announces that the show is ending at the end of season nine. Right. So now, you know, this is just one episode later. What did anything change? Like, did you guys start writing for like the fences or the end? Obviously, as the episodes played out, like other than the finale, there's not a lot leading towards, uh, you know, there aren't like a lot of characters dying Game of Thrones style before, you know, in the few episodes no. before the finale. So did anything change at all? And, you know, now that, you know, hey, we only have 12 episodes to go. I don't think so. I mean, I remember Jerry, Jerry sitting us down right before Christmas and telling us he was pulling the plug on it. And, you know, he thought it was the right thing to do. But um, we were always just, you know, desperate to get 22, 24 episodes. I don't know how many we did that final season, but it was always just like, you know, how are we going to, you know, now we've got this finale which, you know, I and a couple of writers were pushing for Larry to write. We're like, this is not our show, really, where he let us drive for a while. But this is really Larry and Jerry's show. So we should have Larry come back and write the finale. But um, 
I think the rest of that season was more about just getting getting the season done and writing the best possible episodes. I mean, uh, the only thing that was going on in the show when Larry left was there was a constant. There were two sides in the writer's room, essentially, which were the kind of preservation of character guys. And then the guys who were writing stories that were a little too out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that argument was always going on. I was always on the side of kind of reining it in and bringing it in, keeping it more like the show was when Larry was running it. Um, and there were these epic, fun, and funny arguments with Jerry and Bergen, Schaefer, and Mandel, and myself, and Andy Robin, just about, you know, the difference between, you know, Jerry, in fact, Jerry's argument was always this, and he was on both sides of the page, but he'd always say, you know what, when, when Kramer hit a golf ball into the blowhole of a whale, yeah, that's when I realized we can do anything we want. Yeah, he's, yeah argument, he says that on the DVD. Yeah. yeah, and my argument back to him was constantly, you never showed that. And now right, you're exactly. showing those beats, and that's different to me, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, was, you know, that's was part of the fun of working on the show was was doing that stuff. So you know, I think by the time that finale was announced, there was a lot of that back and forth stuff going on, anyways, and it would have been hopeless to kind of decide as a group, hey, let's start writing episodes toward the end of the season. Spike, and yeah. in this episode that we just talked about, the reverse people, I think that that's really evident, uh, Your uh, the way that uh, you view the series, because this is a season nine episode that I think feels very much like a like a season three, season four episode, in that, you know, there's, there's some, like, uh, you know, wacky stuff happening, but nothing that's sort of out of this world in terms of, you know, Kramer is reversing the people on his apartment, but it's nothing that, like, couldn't actually happen here or you know george having a giant wallet like they're sm- they're small okay, stories you, those stories come from real things so far i mean forgetting the other stories reverse people is a pretty simple idea which was when i would come home late writing for letterman in new york city and i mean like 10 or 11 o'clock i was more interested in knowing who might be waiting for me in my apartment than who might mm-hmm. be outside the door where i'm kind of protected by a big metal rod across the door do you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah. this idea was a simple little i would rather be able to look in than look out and what andy robin and i were laughing about was the the fact that well then people could watch you inside yeah <laughs> and that was thing I'd kind of forgotten about. And that was Kramer's exploration. The wallet was an internal argument between me and Jerry, where I was because I called him old wallet man. You're an old man because you like a wallet. And I carry one of those little card things and pretty much only the stuff I'm going to need. And and he he would say, and this went on for a while, that he needed everything in his wallet. And there was a day where I said, all right, take out your wallet and let's go through all of it. And you tell me which of this, which of these things you're really going to need today? <laughs> and as we went through, he saw it. The little scraps of paper with phone numbers, the, the stupid credit cards for gas. And I think Steve Korn was that Tony and the Tiger. I think that came out of his <laughs> We were all really kind of exploring this idea. Like, we are carrying so much crap we don't need on a daily basis. Really, you only need a little bit of money and your license and maybe a credit card. Mm-hmm. And that's. That central argument was Jerry and I in real life fighting over this, which, by the way, he's come around to my side finally. Yeah. Well, in the episode, he's the opposite way. He's the he's yeah. the you in the episode. He's George in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> and and Elaine is dealing with uh, Putty has the man fur. Did you know somebody who actually had a man okay, fur? Okay, so man fur, 
I would. I lived on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. When I walked home from the Ed Sullivan Theater in the wintertime, I started seeing gentlemen with man furs on. <laughs> and I called them man furs. And then I would go back to the Letterman writer's room and go, are you starting to see man furs? What's going on with these man furs? And, and what really angered me about it was there seemed to be a pride with these men. Like they were very proudly wearing the man fur. They had no idea how stupid they looked. So between that and didn't that veer into an eight ball jacket yes. at the end? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That those were the two jackets that I saw walking home or walking around New York that really pissed me off. And and that was an attempt to stop that <laughs> <laughs> using television for the power of good on society. Yeah, I think you did it. I don't think there's too many man furs now. I don't know. You you eradicated the man fur. <laughs> yes. Peter Peter will send you a thank you note, Spike. Yes. Okay. That's what I'm looking. All right. Uh, well, uh, let, let's ask you some uh, specific uh, show questions. Uh, you know, going back to uh, in the the soup Nazi, uh, one of the things we were trying to figure out was did the idea of calling somebody a uh, a blank Nazi? Uh, do you feel like the, the, do you take any ownership over that the, the uh, th- that becoming part of our? Uh, our, our language that every yeah. people are uh, this Nazi or that Nazi. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't know. You'd have to sort through how everybody got their nickname. Certainly I hear from a lot of people who mm-hmm. go, I'm called the deli Nazi, the shoe Nazi because of that episode. I hear a lot about that, but you know, when I was introduced to the soup Nazi by a writer on Letterman, it was this guy, Dave Hansen. He that's how he introduced him to me. He goes, you got to come get soup from this guy. They call him the soup Nazi. And I'm like, the what? He goes, he's the soup. He's <laughs> angry, but his soup is delicious and you have to order it a certain way. And I was George in that scene. Just like I know how to order soup. I wouldn't have a problem. And then I was rejected. So, um, you know, again, it's like I didn't put that phrase together. That's the one kind of New Yorkers were using about him, or at least in my little group of friends. That's what they called this guy and how I was introduced to him. Uh, you talk about you know realistic episodes, but we had a couple questions about uh, maybe your most sort of uh, like I don't want to say sci-fi, but maybe the episode the episode you worked on that strays from like you know like straight you know nonfiction the most the muffin tops you touched on before. We had a couple questions again; these are just verbatim questions we asked during the podcast um, it, during the the muffin tops podcast. Here was one of our questions: Is the Tyler Chicken guy pretending to be a chicken? Is he a half chicken? What is he? chicken guy okay so that's a take on the george steinbrenner character right okay yes so where i i remember how we got to that was let's have the guy from tyler chicken be like george steinbrenner (laughs) and i believe the guy who's playing tyler chicken is pete pomponicolas who is one of our stage hands or crew members. Uh, forgive me, I forget his actual title, but he was like this and you know, beloved crew member on the show who, as I recall, really loved limericks. It really, we used to buy him books of limericks because they would just crack him up. Mm-hmm. So I think what's going on there, what you're seeing is you know, Jerry and me and the writers just having a good time with Pete Pomponicolas, you know, who's obviously not an actor. And us just having him do silly things on a take. You know, go ahead, act like a chicken. <laughs> it's, he's just, we're just having fun shooting that. And then we decided to use that take. But it's a guy for sure. It's definitely a guy. But just the same episode <laughs> around him while we're shooting it. And it's a guy from our camera crew. And we're just having fun with him. Like, move your head like this. What kind of movements would he do? Because if you watch Steinbrenner, 
he's also very big in his hand movements and his body movements. So we were just translating what that would be for a chicken guy. And that's funny. In the same episode, we also asked, uh, is Jerry actually a werewolf? Because he just shaved his chest. Did yeah, turn into I, one? I always kind of, when I see that one on, I, I turn it off. That one got out of control, mm-hmm. in my opinion. But, that's funny. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I even came up with that idea. But, I mean, the central idea was a, a lot smaller and cleaner, which was, at the time, you know, we have no internet. We have no you know, guideline for men's grooming. <laughs> it was like, what, what's okay and not okay to trim off your own body. I mean, now it's on Buzzfeed every, every couple hours, but it really back then it was like, do you, do you trim this? Are we trimming below the belt? Where does this go? And then, you know, the rumor that you always hear is, you know, you cut it off, it's going to grow back faster. And that got us that very funny kind of Kramer, um, pubic Afro beat. Right. <laughs> like a train horn and you know i like that it's just you know i think with that we were we were on the bus tour right mm-hmm. that was us kind of fucking with the real peterson peterson uh yeah. real bus tour yes, life yes. imitates art imitates life imitates art thing and we were just out there and i think that you know that was a good idea that we should have laughed at and then moved on from and figured something <laughs> else out yeah <laughs> something smaller but I take full responsibility. Okay. Now, uh, Jerry uh, is talking a lot about shaving his chest uh, in this whole episode. But are, are we to assume that he was he just shaved his chest or Jerry is shaving everything in this episode? Uh, the idea was, he, yeah, he might be shaving everything. Wow. Okay. Well, this is like yeah. a We t- had a big argument. Spike, I don't know if you, you, you know, you have anything better to do in our life. But Rob and I had like a half hour debate about this. So thanks for <laughs> we were genuinely at the time, I believe all of us were single, including Jerry. And we all were trying to get to the heart of the answer of this. And on that show, when you had these conversations and arguments about it, those became the scenes. Mm-hmm. That's what really fun and interesting about that show. It's like you'd have an opposing view in the room. You'd have this argument out loud. The rest of the writers would start laughing and you'd go, okay, well, there's the beginning of what I think the scene's going to be between Jerry and George or Kramer and Jerry or whoever it is. Okay. Uh, can we go to the junk mail for a second? Uh, yeah. Mike? All right. Here we've got a couple questions there. Uh, this is, again, a verbatim question that either IS Rob or vice versa. What was the genesis of the idea behind the Wiz? Why they use a real company but create a fake spokesperson for it? Why not make up a company? <laughs> <laughs> so Elaine's dating the Wiz? Yeah. Yes. I don't, gosh, I don't remember much about that story, how that even Can came. Can I tell you a funny, a funny thing about the real life whiz that we, we discussed on the podcast? The, they, they were very into like the founder and, and the nobody beats the whiz, right. uh, which, which no longer exists, right? Um, they would have like a founder's day sale, but then the New York Times did like a big uh, like story about nobody beats the whiz and the company wouldn't say who their founder was. It was like the most secretive company in the world. Wow. Well, I was certainly entertained by the word whiz in <laughs> New York City and the idea of the whiz. <laughs> and it was definitely writers from fodder. How does that story start? Maybe that'll give me a clue so, to what I was thinking. Yeah, that uh, we were trying to figure out exactly uh, what the issue is, but it's that he is, was the former spokesperson for the whiz. And then people look at him and they feel like that they know him from somewhere and they're sort of like charmed by him. And like there's like a little bit like of this like harp effect that plays when he looks at people and we were having a hard time. Oh, OK. OK. Now you got now I remember. Here's here's the origin of that story. I've never been asked this question before. Right. Now I know exactly where it came from. I was dating a girl here in L.A. 
that when I first saw her, I had a moment. And it was a gliss moment like in the episode where I went, oh, my God. And I mistook that moment for Cupid's arrow. She's the one. I fell in love for the first time with this girl. It wasn't until I had been dating her for three weeks and she mentioned that she used to be a commercial actress that I remembered. I wasn't that's not what I was feeling. I was remembering her from a McDonald's commercial. (laughs) what i mistook for cupid's arrow was really remembering this girl working the drive-through window in a mcdonald's tv commercial Mm -hmm. and then i but i was already stuck deep in the relationship you see what i mean yeah Yeah, that's funny i was in it for four weeks that's where that came from so we took the mcdonald's part of it and changed it out to the guy from the whiz so when Elaine first meets him, she's like, my God, I think I just fell in love. It was love at first sight. And then slowly she realizes, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm just remembering him, recognizing him from TV. That, that's that's what that story was. OK, uh, in that same episode, this was another thing that we debated for a while. So this is when Jerry gets the van and he doesn't want the van He's going to just go and trade in the van. So he so Kramer says, "Okay, well, let me help you write the ad. And Kramer adds the line about how interesting trades considered was Kramer playing the long game from the get go of that. He (laughs) knew he was going to come in with a trade down the road. And that's why he wanted to put that into the ad. No. Well, the origin of the story is kind of a rich guy Seinfeldy thing, as I recall. And it was the idea that, you know, occasionally these stand-ups will do a gig and they get a car. And, and, and Jerry and other comedians we knew had done that. And then they get a car they don't like and they kind of feel like stuck. Like, do I keep this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't mm-hmm. want it. It's not what I drive Jeep Cherokees if it were Seinfeld. So that's where that part of it came from. Interesting trades considered, I think, was just us having fun with – you know, because as you know, we're all car junkies. Yeah. Having fun with the phrases that people use in their ads that are really stupid. Never smoked in. Never driven outside <laughs> of San Diego. Interesting trades considered. You know, what? Just, that's all we were doing. So I, I'm fairly certain that that joke, just the reference interesting trades considered, made us laugh before we had the next beat of the story of where that was going. And then we just picked on that mode, if that makes sense. So I I don't Kramer wouldn't have had the long game. No, I I think that was us in the writer's room laughing at the dumb uh, phrases people put in ads. Amir wants to know, Spike, how much does it annoy you that the Puerto Rican Day Parade, which you have a credit on, uh, the, the, the episode became controversial and generally isn't shown on TV anymore? That syndication money straight out of your pocket. Did you guys even consider that people might have an issue with it? Were you blindsided by the controversy? And if you were writing it today, would you be more cautious given the current climate? Well, that episode, we're all credited with writing, but we didn't all write it. Um, right. The last five or six episodes, there's like eight writers per episode that get credits. Yeah, we just added people in here and there. I, I remember really being disconnected at that point and just chilling out. I was tired after three years. <laughs> I, did, I was pretty vocal about burning the Puerto Rican flag and said, you know, I, I don't think that's good. <laughs> oh, burning- I think you're going to say you were for it. Oh, <laughs> no, no, very much against it. Yes. I, yeah. Let the, the record Puerto- show. And and what I say about the episode all the time is this was a story about how parades, not the Puerto Rican Day Parade, but all parades put a boundary up in the cities and you can never get across it. And it yep. was in the room. 
just the funny idea. Someone thought the Puerto Rican Day Parade would be the funniest. It was never to make fun of the Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. but it was just about, it could have been any parade, the Italian Day Parade, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. And um, where, where I think it went wrong, one was burning a Puerto Rican flag, which again, I was against, and I know some other people were too, because it just seemed stupid to burn anybody's flag. Yeah, I, I forget what I was going to say about the other part of it, but I don't know. It, it's, uh, it was never meant to upset people, but whatever. What are you going to do? Well, luckily for you, there's about oh, eight oh, other God, names on that. Say, <laughs> anytime you're writing something that can be controversial, you better be sure it's, it's, the, fun, it's the funniest thing you've written. Because mm -hmm, right. if it's really funny, then, it, then that stuff's kind of forgiven, and then you're kind of writing something outrageous. Unfortunately, that isn't, for me, one of the funniest episodes of the show on top of it. So now you have some controversial elements and it's not funny and it's a, you know, it's a perfect recipe to get to get hit for. Spike, in the reverse peephole that we were talking about uh, today, that Jerry is uh, dating a woman uh, that he meets at the Joe Mayo party and uh, <laughs> that she ends up uh, having Jerry carry all of her belongings. Uh, what yes. is the reason why this woman does not carry a handbag herself? Um, the reason is, uh, again, I think we're all dating at that time. So we're out in L.A. There's not much time to date, but we're, you know, all having these observations of guys, you know, dating and what it's like. And complaining. So one of the complaints was, why I, I I don't know why I have to carry all this girl's stuff. Why is she not carrying her own purse? But every every time I go out with her, it seems like she's asking me to carry her keys and a little lipstick and this other stuff. And my pockets are getting overloaded. That that's what that story was about. So is the woman named Carrie because she's making Jerry carry all her stuff? No. Okay. I, <laughs> we, we think we may <laughs> have. <laughs> The story is really about my friend uh, Jeff from my hometown who I met up with in out, out here, and he invited me to a party like this where he said, come on, we're going to my friend's party, or he threw the party or something. And When we got there, everybody had a job to do, and I was like, you know, Jeff, nobody's enjoying the party. They're just all working for your party. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where that whole idea came from. See, we thought that maybe that she had been mugged a couple of times and then uh, when this is our this is yes. our like pitch to like spruce up the the yeah. final tag of the episode yes well tell, yeah. well tell tell us what you think about this let's say what if carrie says during the episode because it's never said why she doesn't carry the purse she says oh i don't carry a purse because you know it's new york city mid 90s uh, i've been mugged three times in the last year then last scene when when jerry gets mugged it's like oh yeah of course he got mugged because everyone's getting mugged she just got mugged three times it ties in a little bit more with the uh yeah. We're listen, we're rewriting the, you know, the greatest show of all time 20 years later. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> what do you think about that? Yeah. Do whatever Can you we want. We get signed for season 10 now. Like, are we are, are we on the you know, are we on the ball here? Yep, you're in. <laughs> oh, OK. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Dominic. Dominic asks, so uh, who is your favorite non core four character to write for? Um, I like the Jiffy Park guy. He made me laugh. Um, I was a big Newman fan. Um, I always liked the really small, stupid characters like Rebecca De Mornay, who worked at the homeless place yeah. and did the muffin tops. <laughs> uh, I like the really silly people like that. You know, I think a fun fact, Spike. The so in this episode that we just talked about the, the reverse people, I actually like Silvio, the the new super in this episode. I think he does a good job. Uh, you know, like talking about Jerry being a fancy boy. Here's a fun yeah. fact. So his. <laughs> His wife, who never speaks, 
Svetlana, the one that Newman is sort of flirting with behind behind right. uh, behind yeah. his back. Um, so I like I we always like to check on the you know the side characters and see like hey did they go on to anything, uh, you know what happened to them and she's a big mystery. She's not an IMDb. She's not credited because she never speaks. And there's like dozens of threads on the internet. Like, who is this person? No one knows who she is. Wow. Yeah. Maybe she was disappeared after the episode. <laughs> this, could, this could be, this could be season three of serial. She should have had a reverse people. She could. I don't know what, yeah, I don't really quite recall who it is, but, um, you know, she might be dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John Polito died just recently. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that's I was gonna. I was literally gonna tweet it. I'm like, oh, I bet the guy who played the super John Polito would know. And sadly, I went to his IMDb page and I saw. Okay, he uh, he cannot no, answer my tweet. Mark, uh, Mark Mark would know who did our casting. Um, and you can catch up with him on Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, will... it's, it's not such an important question. I just thought it was funny that like pe- people have been asking on the internet for 15 years who it is, and literally nobody knows. It's like a it's. I'm telling you, season three is serial right here. We'll all get executive <laughs> producer credits on it. <laughs> all right. We'll see. That uh, I that, that could have legs, Keeve. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I feel like we could get this question answered in 10 seconds if we really wanted. <laughs> hey, that didn't stop that Richard Simmons podcast. That's true. Yeah, That's true. It, you were backwards, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We got to go back. <laughs> we'll go back and look. Spike, uh, do you have a story that inspired uh, the uh, Jiffy Park parking lot saga where uh, there were uh, sex workers who were working out of George's car that was parked uh, at that parking lot? Yes, that's essentially what happened to me. (laughs) West End Avenue, new parking lot, just the cheapest parking that I could keep my old Jeep in and the doors didn't lock in the Jeep. And I picked it up one weekend, and there were condoms on the floor. Oh, boy. I was like, what the fuck? And they were used. And I went up to the guy, and I, I said, look what I'm finding in my Jeep. And he goes, what would you like me to do about it? <laughs> I go, well, since I'm paying you, I'd like you to stop people from fucking in my Jeep. And he goes, if the doors don't lock, what can I do? It was essentially that scene. And he said, the famous line, well, take it up with a business affairs. He just had a very kind of casual way about telling me to, to fuck off uh, really. what are you gonna do it you I, I i used to live in manhattan like you're not gonna find another lot you're stuck with him yeah you could but this was just life in new york you know at right. the time i wasn't thinking oh i'll turn this into a tv show mm-hmm, film. Right. <laughs> was essentially my daily life you know all the stuff that was going on and you know i just kept a little mental record of it and when i went to meet with jerry and larry they were like we really want to just hear about life in new york and i said well okay here you go it, you didn't write down any of these ideas as they were happening to you or you just had a really good memory for no, these- they were you know what they're the they're the stories i would tell everybody in the in the writer's room or uh when i go out to dinner or out to drinks with my friends and like you know like you're not going to believe what happened to me this week type stories but you know and that's that's when you're first starting out and you know you don't have a lot of money you live in new york there's a lot of that there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of little adventures and uh you know you go back when you know you're asked that question what's it really like you go well let me tell you (laughs) these are the things that were either very entertaining or really upsetting spike i got one more for you the the um we we discussed this at length with like talking about the the actor's feelings in the andrea doria right there's a whole bit that that julia has a big head right that elaine has a big head when you write that in, and I don't know if Julie Louis-Dreyfus indeed has a big head or not, 
But like, are you like if you're talking about it, it's not even specific to the core four or even the Seinfeld, but you're you're an experienced writer. Do you have to worry about the actor's feelings if you're talking about somebody being like a little fat or having like a weird feature? Like, again, you know, we got man hands, which is, or I guess are fake, but a big nose, something like that, that you're sort of like mining for a comedy. Do you, do you ever worry about the actor's feelings or? Like, yeah, of course. They're, they're, yeah, but they they never really pushed back on something as long as it was as it was funny. It was uh, that was a story about someone we knew. I think that might have been someone Jeff Schaefer knew. I and and I I'm I'm not sure it was my story, but it was about this guy we we all knew, someone in our social circle who, when he broke up with a girl, said something to hurt them that was lasting, and and it was always something weird that would then the girl would obsess about you know what mm -hmm. i mean it was this dick move that a guy would do and and i think that's where that story came from and what we were trying to do is find something that really wasn't julia or elaine that this big head thing it was meant to be just completely out of the blue and then she would start to obsess and really start to believe it through a series of coincidences like the bird hitting her in the head which by the way we shot in one take Mm -hmm. Told me I wow. get that, and we got it in one take. <laughs> Andy Ackerman. Yeah, I remember we had a starling on a piece of string and a stagehand holding it, and I went, "There's no way this is gonna work, but boy, this is gonna be a fun day of shooting." And boom, first take, hitting the head and down. <laughs> now, Spike, I know you're also a big car guy. So is uh, Jerry, famously, and a lot of other people uh, in comedy, like Jay Leno, have uh, you know these vast car collections. You talked about uh, these other uh, comedians who have all these cars they're trying to sell. What is it about cars that uh, attracts comedians so much? Um, they're fun, and comedians are fun experts. <laughs> and I think that's really all it is. They're also something you can do. Um, that isn't 18 holes of golf, which yes. takes up a lot of time because when you're working, you don't have a lot of time. But when you have, you know, lunch and you're eating a sandwich, you can get on your computer and get on eBay Motors or websites now. And at the time, it was magazines and with make phone calls and you can hunt for stuff. And, you know, I, I think not just comedians, I think all, you know, lots of people, especially guys, love the hunt. And that's really what it's all about. And how are you enjoying doing the podcast, Spike? Not this one, it. your podcast. This one is probably tedious. I like yours too. Um, <clears throat> I love interviewing people, and it's something I remembered from my late night show on Fox. Um, the first time I sat down, Jerry did the first show, and as I started talking to him, and I realized I had like an hour to really pick him apart, I, I went, this is a really fun little format. And, you know, I've had Dick Van Dyke on. Um, we're about to do Joel McHale. We did Russell Peters, did Chris Hardwick. You know, it's 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 a lot of fun to not just talk about what what they like as far as cars, but also just get get to know them in in a deeper way and and hear more about how they're funny, you know, and hear more about their their real life. I, I love it. And then, you know, as you guys know, you just post this thing and it's done. Yeah. There's no well, fantastic. Don't make any money, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's the tricky part. Uh, well, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a great format, and uh, with all due respect to uh, comedians and cars getting coffee, I, what I don't uh, love about that is that it's cut up so much in terms of like I kind of feel like that right. there's times where Jerry just gets into an interesting conversation and then 
cut to you know shots of uh, coffee dripping. Like, oh, I wanted to hear where that was going. Uh, so yeah. you know, I, I prefer the long form interviews uh, in terms of like really getting to know a person. Yeah, that's well, you know, like any of these shows, they're the guy's point of view. That's what Jerry loves. He really, you know, and he does that all himself. He, he it's hard, you know, if you think about you're shooting three or five hours. And you go, you want to melt it down in like nine minutes. That's mm-hmm. a lot of work. Um, but he loves it. And, you know, there's uh, obviously people love that show, you know, and that's that's how he expresses himself through editing. You know, I'm not that guy. I would rather not edit. I never want to edit, but <laughs> whatever. All right, well, if you want to check out Spike's Car Radio, you can get that at uh, podcastone.com. Uh, and then, uh, Spike, anything else you want to tell people to check out? No, that's good. That's it. Okay. We've got a, I've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline, but nothing I can announce right now. But that uh, stick with the podcast. You'll hear it all there first. Okay. Also on the Podcast One app. Uh, and Spike, thank you for uh, coming on here with Thanks. us and allowing us to uh, uh, torture you with our uh, stupid questions. No, it's fun. I like reliving the Seinfeld stuff. Anytime you want me to come back and answer a question, even if it's for a minute, I'm happy to settle arguments. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that so much, Spike. I want to bring peace to the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Okay. All right. Take care, guys. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, Keith. There you have it. Spike Ferris. And that was pretty good, right? Yeah. He really, uh, he remembers a lot of stuff. I'm very impressed. He, it's like it was yesterday to him. Yeah. And uh, it was interesting to hear that sort of the debate that, uh, you know, we're having uh, as this podcast goes on in terms of what is Seinfeld about in season nine and and did it get like I, I know that there's a lot of meta commentary about did the show become too surreal down the stretch. But interesting to know that those conversations were uh, being had in the real time as well in the writer's room. Yeah, no, and I like that he's on our side also, Spike, that he he wants the show grounded in realism as much as possible. Yeah, uh, but again, I think that the challenge was to keep doing that and then not repeat things that you've done 100 episodes ago, you know, and uh, not have it just being the same stuff over and over again. Like, you want to keep pushing the envelope at the same time. Right. I mean, again, that's probably one of the reasons why Jerry chose to end the show eventually. Yeah. All right, Keeve. Uh Well, great stuff. Uh, next week, coming up on the Seinfeld Post Show recap, uh, what podcast are we going to be doing? Uh, well, we'll probably do a Seinfeld podcast. Yes. We're going to be talking about the cartoon. Okay. A lot of Kathy Griffin talk this week. All right. Should we invite Kathy on? I feel like she's busy right now. Look, uh, she might be looking for a friendly outlet. That's true. That's true. We will not even mention politics with her. Yeah, but I don't. Know, I don't know if we want that heat, Keeve. Yeah, I don't. You we don't want the Kathy Griffin heat. Yeah, yeah, she might come with a lot of trolls right now. Right. Right. I don't want to get doxxed. No, definitely don't want to be doxxed. Okay. All right. So, Keeve, so we still have time. If you want to get your feedback in, uh, email us Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, thanks again to Spike Ferriston for coming on the show with us. Follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve twenty six. I'm at Rob Sister. You know, take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 